Father, again, we just come to you and, and we're so blessed to have the privilege to study your word and, Lord, to, to have your spirit as our teacher. And, Lord, as we, again, as we come to the Abraham and we begin to look at his life and, and uh, as he makes this turn and, uh, from disobedience to obedience, Lord, and, and just how you lay so many blessings upon him. And, and one of the blessings, Lord, that you uh, have given Abraham and his descendants is that those who bless uh, him and his descendants will be blessed and those who curse him and his descendants will be cursed. And Lord, we see this playing out even today uh, with the descendants of Abraham that are now living in the land of Israel, how the world is beginning to curse them. And uh, this anti-Semitic movement is growing uh, rapidly in the world, Lord, but we can rest assured that that uh, you're going to take care of your people and that those who curse your people will be the ones who be cursed. Lord, and also we can apply that to our own lives as Christians, Lord. Sometimes that it seems that uh, the persecution is growing against the church and against your people, but, Lord, we can be sure that, that uh, those who bless us will be blessed and those who cursed us will be cursed. And we can rest in you, Lord, and, and in uh, uh, your power to, to protect us and and to take care of our enemies. So, Father, we just again just thank you for the great lessons that are in your word. And I ask today that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit you teach us these lessons. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Now most of you by now are uh, familiar with the BDS movement. Uh, which the Palestinians started in 2005. Uh, and in their BDS charter, this is what they say. Uh, Their purpose is to end, and I'm quoting here, the international support for Israel's oppression of the Palestinians and to pressure them to comply with international law. So, in effect, what they're doing by this BDS movement, and let me tell you what that BDS means. It means boycott. They want to boycott all of uh, Israeli products that are, that are uh, uh, shipped into foreign countries. They want, the D stands for divestment. They want all investors, uh, mutual funds, uh, organizations to divest themselves of any Israeli investments. And then they want to sanction the Israeli economy so their goods can't move in and out of Israel. And so that's what the BDS stands for. But in effect, what they want to do is to put an economic curse on Israel so that Israel will be brought, in a sense, to their knees and they'll be willing to give up the land that they're supposed to give up based upon the uh, pre-1967 borders. But actually, if you look at the Palestinian charter, they want more than that. They want to drive the Israelis all the way into the sea. They want to kill every Jew on this earth. And so that's their ultimate goal. The sad thing is that many countries have joined this BDS movement. Most Middle Eastern countries have joined the movement. And uh, 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 they're joined by uh, uh, several countries in, in Europe. And even the United States is, is actually participating to some degree. Uh, we've got a president now that, that uh, is just the opposite of, of the president we had before. And so he's not as actively 
anti-Israel. He's actually pro-Israel, so, so things are changing a little bit now. But you still see this movement not only in Europe, you see it taking place in the United States. Most of our universities have uh, signed on to the BDS movement, and they've taken their retirement funds and mutual funds, and they've divested from any uh, bank or corporation, Israeli corporation. And, and, and so we see that in our universities. Many of the large corporations in the world uh, have joined the BDS movement. And unfortunately, there are several major denominations, religious denominations, that have also joined the BDS movement. Uh, several of the Reformed denominations, in particular the uh, Presbyterian uh, USA, they've joined the BDS movement. The United Church of Christ, that denomination has called for a boycotts and sanctions and divestments of, uh, against Israel. Uh, the Alliance of Baptist Churches, now this is not the Southern Baptist Convention, but they've called for a boycott and uh, divestment and sanctions against Israel. And, and several of even, even larger denominations like the United Methodists and the Roman Catholics and the Anglican Church haven't actually voted to join the BDS movement, but in practice they've implemented uh, actions uh, of divesting uh, in their investments in Israel. And so, in effect, they have to join the BDS movement. Well, what's that got to do with Abraham? Well, we're going to see that as we, we uh, look at the blessings that the Lord gives Abraham and his descendants as we go to chapter 12 of Genesis. And, and that's where we want to pick up uh, where we left off last time. If you remember last time, uh, we had saw how God sought out and he called Abraham out of the land of Mesopotamia, out of Ur of Chaldea. And he had two callings. The first calling we saw in Acts chapter 7. It's not given to us in Genesis. But uh, in that calling, God gave him three commands. And I'm reading now from Acts chapter 7. Those three commands were this. And listen to what uh, Stephen says in that speech that he gave before the, the Pharisees. He says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, and he gave him three commands, and these were the three commands. Number one, get out of your country. Number two, come out from your relatives. And number three, come to the land in which I will show you. And so Abraham had, was given three commands when he was given this first calling, and he obeyed one of them. What did he do? He left uh, Mesopotamia. That's the only thing that he obeyed. But he, but he didn't get out from his relatives. He took his father and his relatives with him. And he stopped in the land of Iran. And he, we're told that he settled down there. He was supposed to go on into the land of Canaan. But he settled down there in Haran. And so uh, when he should have kept going. So the Lord comes to him a second time. And that's what we want to pick up in uh, chapter 12 of uh, Genesis, after his father dies, his father Terah dies, the Lord comes to him a second time, and, and that's where we want to pick up in chapter 12, verse number 1, and listen to what it says. Now the Lord, he, it says here, had said. Now that's, a, uh, to me, a bad translation, because that word had is not in the Hebrew. I mean, it's really, it's a simple past tense in the Hebrew, so really, the Lord said. So this is, I believe, a second calling. This is not the first calling. Now, remember in the first calling, he only got 
three commands. He got three commands. One, to get out of Mesopotamia, get away from your relatives, and go to the land which I'm going to show you. Well, the Lord comes to him a second time now, and he repeats those commands. And, he, and so the Lord said to Abram a second time, get out of your country, and he's a little more detailed here, from your family and from your father's house. Now, he really doesn't have any choice at this point to get away from his father's house because his father's dead. And I think maybe the reason his father's dead because that was the only way he was going to get out of his father's house, and the Lord knew that, and so he took away his father. Uh, so uh, he, he, he says, get out, of your, get out of your country from your family and from your father's hands and go to a land that I will show you. And so Abraham's going to head out, and he's going to go to a land that the, that the Lord is going to show him. What is that land? That land is Israel. It's the land of Canaan. Abraham doesn't know that at this point. All he knows is that he's supposed to get out of his place of comfort, where he's at, and he's to head out. That's all he knows. He doesn't know where he's going. And there's a good lesson there for us. Because a lot of times, that's the way God deals with us. He tells us to move out. Move out from this comfort zone you're in. Well, okay, Lord, I'm going to move out. Where am I going? Well, he doesn't tell you sometimes. He just tells you to move out. And you, what you want to do and to be obedient to the Lord, you want to follow the Lord. And you've got to trust the Lord in those situations. When he says move, you, you move. You take the steps that God tells you to take. You don't take any other steps until the Lord tells you to take those steps. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times you don't know exactly where you're going to end up. You know, all of us, when, when you were born again, you heard a call from God. And what was that call? Go you into all the world, preaching the gospel, and making disciples of all people. That's our calling as believers. Now, how, we do that in different ways, but all of us have that calling. Now, we don't know exactly where that's going to take us. All we know is that we're to move out. And when I say move out, that doesn't mean you leave your house and you leave Lafayette, you leave your city and you go somewhere else and you just start drifting around. That's not what I'm talking about here. But you move out. You don't stay stationary. You move where you're at. You get active where you're at. Wherever God has placed you right now, that's where he wants you if you're a born-again believer. And you stay there and you do what God's called you to do until he calls you to go somewhere else. And, and you don't know exactly where you're going to... None of you in this room know exactly where you're going to end up when, when life is over. Most of you probably are going to end up right where you're at. Uh, and, and sometimes I think maybe that's a shame because God wants to do something different in your life and you're just not listening to the Lord. You're not willing to, to, to get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so, uh, uh, but anyway... If you are following the Lord and you are hearing the Lord, he's not going to always tell you, hey, this is where I want you to be five years from now. This is what I want you to work towards for, five, for, for the next five years. He's not always going to do that. Sometimes he does that, but not always. He's just going to tell you to move out. Move out where you're at in your job and get busy, you know, serving the Lord. Wherever God has placed you in your family, get busy serving the Lord. And then eventually he's going to show you where you're going to end up. Now, Here's what's really fantastic about this second calling that God gives to Abraham. Uh, he doesn't just give him three commands here and then just say, hey, you obey those commands. He tells him why he's called him now in, 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 uh, in chapter 12 of Genesis. Look at verse number 2. Listen to what he says and look at these four great unconditional promises that he makes to Abraham. 
Very similar to some of the promises he's made to us. Now, the first one, obviously, that's not for us. But listen to what he says to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you. Now, that promise is for all believers. And I will make your name great. And and you, I believe this promise is for all believers, and you shall be a blessing. Now, we know exactly what nation God was talking about when he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. We know what nation that is. We know that's the nation of Israel. Uh, Abraham's going to have a son named Isaac, and his son's going to have a son named Jacob, and Jacob's going to have 12 sons who are going to make up the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's the great nation that he's talking about. But he doesn't just say, I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Now, how was he going to bless Abraham? Well, you know, later on he tells Abraham, he says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Abraham is actually going to become a friend of God. He's going to have lots of visits from the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He's going to walk and talk with Jesus Christ just like Adam did in the garden, Adam and Eve did in the garden. So he's got a great privilege. God is going to bless him. But that's not the only way he's going to bless him. He's going to make his name great. He's going to make his name great. And man, did he make his name great. I mean, you talk to a Jew about Abraham and who do they call Abraham? Father Abraham. Who do we call Abraham? The father of us all, the father of faith. And so certainly his name is, is pretty great. I mean, the fact that here in, in 2019, we're studying his life, tell you that the Lord certainly made his name great. And then the, the Lord says, not only will I bless you, he says, I will make you a blessing to others. You know, that's what God does for all of us. He makes us a blessing so that we can be a blessing to others. And there's a lot of Christians who get this principle out of balance. I mean, there are some Christians and there are some places where you're taught, hey, man, God is all about blessing you. I heard some famous preacher or some notorious preacher uh, say one time, actually it was his wife that said it, that God lives just to bless you. That's what his purpose is, is to bless you. Uh, well, God blesses us. There's no doubt about it. But, but if that's all you think, God is about, you've got this thing out of balance. And, and there's a lot of people in a lot of churches that have it out of balance. They just think God is there to give them new cars, new Cadillacs, new homes, new this, new that, new that. And, and, and that's all that it's about. So they have it out of balance. But there are other people on the other side that have it out of balance. They think that they're just to pour out their life for others without any regard for themselves or without any regard for their family. And, and they miss it too. And so there's a balance here. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. We enjoy the blessings that God gives us, and then we, we're a blessing to others. Now, I think the Lord, the next promises that the Lord gives Abraham in verse number three are, are even greater unconditional promises. Look at this. He says in verse number three, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And, you. and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, first of all, he tells them this. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, but I'm also going to bless those who bless you. And, and what he's saying there, when somebody blesses you, they're blessing me, so I'm going to bless them. But on the other hand, If somebody curses you, they're cursing me, and so I'm going to curse them. Now, that 
is an unconditional promise that applied not only to Abraham, but it applies now to all his descendants. It's applied throughout history to all his descendants. Uh, you see it over, that principle played out over and over again in the Bible. But, but let me give you one example. You remember when Balak uh, hired Balaam, that prophet for prophet. He hired Balaam. He offered him all sorts of goodies to go and curse Israel. And he got up on the mountain and he was going to curse Israel. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and took over his mouth. And all he could do was bless Israel. And at the very end of that blessing, in Numbers 24, 9, he said, Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. So we know right away, even as early as Numbers, that this blessing that was given to Abraham, that, he, that the Lord would bless those who bless him and curse those that curse him, was also given to his descendants, to Israel. Uh, and, and I think to some degree, we'll talk about this a little bit later, to the church. And so... so uh, uh, that's uh, that's why the BDS curse isn't a curse on Israel. It's the, a curse on the people who initiate that the actions against Israel. You know, when I hear some congresswoman standing up in Congress and, and speaking evil of Israel, uh, they're not bringing a curse on Israel. They're bringing a curse on themselves. You can just sit back and say, ooh, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Because you're cursing Israel, you're cursing the apple of God's eye. And God says that when you curse Israel, you're cursing me. And when you curse me, I'm going to curse you. When I see some mainstream denomination joining the BDS movement, they aren't cursing Israel. They're cursing themselves. And, and, and you can see this in what's happened since the BDS movement was begun back in 2005. Uh, let me tell you how it's been working out. Look at the Palestinians and how well they're doing right now. They're not doing so well. Since 2005, get these numbers, the Israeli economy, the GDP has doubled since 2005. Foreign investment in Israel since 2005 has tripled. So instead of being cursed, they're being blessed. And then the Palestinians are still being cursed. Now, you might be pro-Palestinian, and I have, you know, they're certainly human beings, and we certainly, you know, would love to see them saved, but, but they're going to they're gonna continue to be cursed as long as, as God allows them to be cursed, and, and Israel's going to be blessed as long as God allows Israel to be blessed. Now, there will be times when Israel won't be blessed because God is laying his hand upon Israel for his own reasons. So there's some exceptions to this. So... The Lord, we see from this, he's promised to protect Abraham and his descendants forever. But, hey, that's still not the greatest promise he gave Abraham. Here's the greatest promise he gave Abraham. He said, look at this. He says, in, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if I'm Abraham, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I hear this word from the Lord, I'm wondering to myself, how in the world am I going to bless all the families of the earth? And there weren't as many families on the earth as there are now. But the Lord wasn't just talking about all the families on the earth in Abraham's time. He was talking about all the families on earth throughout history were going to be blessed by Abraham. And how was that going to happen? Abraham said, how's, how's that going to happen? And, and we know that that's a messianic promise in you. In your loins, Abraham, is the seed 
of the future Messiah who will be a blessing to every, all the families of this earth because he's going to die for their sins on a cross in the future. That's going to be the, the, the gate to heaven through Jesus Christ is the only way we can go to heaven. And so what a blessing. Now, he again, I don't think he has a clue what that's about at this point. But, man, he's thinking my name's going to be great. I'm, I'm going to, there's a nation coming from me. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, 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 bless all the families of the earth. Hey, this is pretty good. And then how does he respond at this point? He doesn't disobey at this point, does he? Look at, look at verse number four. Uh, he obeys God. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, what's the best response that we can give to the Lord when he blesses us? What's the best response? Well, well, some people would say praise. You know, praise and gratitude. That's a good response. But that's not the best response. The best response we can give to the Lord when the Lord has blessed us, is to obey the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When God blesses us, we should respond with love. And how do we respond with love? We respond with love by obeying the Lord, by by keeping his commandments. And and here's Abram. He's about to depart on the most exciting uh, adventure, the most important part of his life. And how old is he? He's, 70, he's older than I am. He's 75 years old. And, and uh, uh, Lot's going to go with him, and the rest of the family's going to go with him, and all those servants are going to go with him. You know, we think of all those servants. Abraham had hundreds and hundreds of servants. Those people were like family to him. He loved those servants. And they're watching him. And I, I believe we'll meet a lot of those servants in heaven because they had the faith of Abraham. They, they saw Abraham in action. They saw all of these promises being fulfilled. And, and they saw the Lord working in his life. And so, so I believe not only was it his, Sarah and, and, and Isaac and Jacob, and I believe uh, those people saved. I believe a lot of his servants, we, Eliezer, for example, I believe they were saved too. Now, I really like this part that he was 75 years old when God started initiating his plan for his life. You know, there's not many people in this room over 75 years old. So, so that should be an encouragement to all of us, especially those of us in the twilight of our lives. That, hey, you know, God might have his most important plan play out in our lives, in the latter years of our life, in the twilight years of our life. And so, so here's what I believe. I believe... If you're still here on this earth and you're a born-again believer, there's a reason you're here. I mean, when God's done with you, he's going to take you out of here. Uh, When he's done using you. And, 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 you know, I guess he could use us forever if if we stayed obedient to him. At some point, he's going to take us out of here because he loves us so much. He's going to get us out of this mess that we're in. But, but, But one of the reasons he leaves us here is because he's still got something for us to do. If you're a believer and you're still here, he's got something for you to do. Find out what that is. Uh, Now, let's look at verse number five as as he makes this journey now in obedience to the Lord. Then Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. Now, wait a minute. He's out of God's will. He's not supposed to have settled in Haran. 
And here he is, his cattle, his herds are growing, and he's gaining more and more servants. What in the world is the Lord doing blessing Abraham when he's out of the will of God? You know, God does that sometimes. You know, sometimes when I'm at my worst, God blesses me in just a wonderful way. Well, I'm at my very worst. Now, I don't recommend that because a lot of times when I'm at my worst, God spanks me in a very special way. But, but, but there are some times he just lays blessings on me when I'm thinking, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm drifted away from the Lord. I'm far away from the Lord as I possibly can get. And then all of a sudden he just lays a big old fat blessing on me. And that's what he does for Abraham. Here's Abraham out of the will of the Lord and, and uh, uh, God's blessing him. So it says, then Abraham took Sarah with his, his, uh, with his, his wife with, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and they had gathered and the people whom they had gathered in Haran. So they gathered possessions. Abraham gets richer and richer and richer. Everywhere he goes, he gets richer no matter what he does. And, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. And so... Uh, here's Abraham, and, and uh, he's, he's begun his journey to Canaan. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith, Abraham left Haran. And, and he makes this 400-mile journey. What he's doing, he, he, leaves, he leaves, if you look at a map, he leaves Mesopotamia. Now, he could have cut straight across the Arabian Desert over to uh, the Canaan. That would have been one way to go, but he probably would have died and all his cattle would have died. So that, wouldn't, that obviously didn't make any sense. So him and his father and his relatives, they all go up to Haran. And I think they named it after they got there, after Terah's brother. And so they go up to Haran and they settle there. They go 400 miles up. Now they're coming 400 miles down, straight down, uh, uh, on the west side of the Arabian Desert, down to the land of Canaan. And... and uh, uh, we get this journey mapped out for us in the next few verses as they get into Canaan. So look at the next few verses, verses 6 and 7. And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem. Now that's about a third of the way down uh, Israel. That's in uh, Palestinian territory now. Uh, it's part of the, the West Bank. And as far as the Terebinth tree at Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, now watch what he says to him. He says, to your descendants, I will give the land. And there he built an altar. When the Lord told him that, what does he do? In gratitude, he builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him there at this tree. Now, we got to ask ourselves, why does he go to the trouble to build an altar at this point? Well, here's Abraham and he's traveling south and he travels midway through Israel or about a third of the way through Israel, down to Shechem. And what does he find when he gets there? Lots of Canaanites. Lots of worldly, pagan Canaanites. And, uh, and he doesn't really like that life anymore, that lifestyle. He's come out of that lifestyle, that worldly, pagan lifestyle. So he's not at home there. He gets to Shechem, and there's people already there, and, he, and, and God hasn't told him to take his service and displace those people, and so... He's saying, you know, Lord, what do, you, what do you have me here for? And so then he goes to the terebinth tree of Moore. Now, we don't know what, what that terebinth, where that terebinth tree is. We know that a terebinth tree is a very large tree. Uh, but 
it wasn't the size of the tree that made the tree significant. The thing that made that tree significant was he's outside of Shechem and he comes to this tree and the Lord appears to him. And so uh, uh, it's a very important place because any place where you're at where the Lord appears to you, that's a really important place. I know, I know there's been places in my life where I've had a special experience with the Lord that become very special places to me. And, and, and that's, that's why this place is named here. Now, here's Abram, and he's probably disappointed. He's thinking, you know, I don't want to settle in the midst of these pagan, worldly Canaanites. You know, I, I, I don't belong with those kind of people anymore. And then the Lord appears to him, and the Lord basically says to him, you don't have to settle in this land. I'm going to give this land not to you, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And they're going to be a large enough group of people that they're going to displace the Canaanites out of the land. But here's what strikes Abraham, and this is what causes him to build the altar. He hears one word in that statement that the Lord gives him. And what's that word? He said, it's descendants. Now, now that doesn't sound so significant. But if you don't have any children, that's very significant. I mean, what's his name? Abram, what's it mean? Father. A father with no children. But now he hears the Lord say to him, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Now, if you're going to have descendants, then the father has to become a father. You've got to have a son in order to have descendants. And so Abraham realizes at this point that he's going to have descendants. Now, up until this point, I don't think he understood these promises. I mean, you're going to be a great nation. Well, uh, me and my servants will turn into a great nation. Uh, you're going to bless the rest of the world. Well, maybe through Lot, my, my stepson, who was his nephew, maybe through Lot, we'll bless the world. You know, we'll do something spectacular. Uh, we'll feed the poor or something. You know, he's, he's trying to figure this out. He's going to bless all the nations. But then he hears this word descendants, and he knows at this point what God is saying to him. God is saying to him that you're going to have a son. And, and, and uh, uh, that is exciting news for Abraham. All right. Let me find my place here. All right. So he, in gratitude, he builds the altar and uh, he worships the Lord. We'll leave it there. All right. Verse number eight. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent. Bethel is just north, uh, east, a little bit from uh, modern-day Jerusalem, really ancient Jerusalem. So, so that's where he's, he's pitched his tent, just a little east of there. Uh, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west. So he's somewhere in between Bethel and Ai on the east. Now, you know where Ai was. Ai was... Uh, you remember when the Israelites crossed the Jordan over into the Promised Land, uh, just north of the Dead Sea? They come uh, into uh, they come to Jericho first, and then the Ai next. So, so this is right across the Jordan from the from the Dead from from uh, uh, east of north of the Dead Sea, uh, uh, east of Jerusalem. So he's parked somewhere in between Ai on the east. And Bethel on the west. Now, if you were to look at that today, that would be 
what is called East Jerusalem, way East Jerusalem, the far East Jerusalem. It's the area where they're building those uh, Israeli settlements right now that are causing so much trouble because the Palestinians say that's their land. Well, you look at that land when you see those settlements and you wonder how they're building anything there because it's nothing but desert. It's a pretty barren area. And the Palestinians would have never done anything with it if they had owned it. They had it for thousands, you know, a thousand years, didn't do anything with it. So they weren't going to do anything with it. But the Jews are so superior in their engineering and in their ways to, to move water and stuff that, that they are able to make settlements there in that area. And that's probably the general area where Abraham is camped at this point. And, and so uh, he, in verse number 8 it says he, he camps there. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. So here's what's happening. Abraham's trying to obey the Lord. The Lord's told him, I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. He doesn't tell him I'm going to give it to you. He says, I'm going to show you a land, the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. But he takes him to the land of, of, uh, uh, he's down now around the middle of Israel, just north of Jerusalem, just east of Jerusalem, uh, uh, west of the uh, uh, west of the Dead Sea, and uh, he's trying to obey the Lord, and he's looking for a place to settle in the Promised Land. But everywhere he goes, there are these Canaanites. So he comes to this area, and he thinks, "Hey, this might work right here, because there aren't many Canaanites here. If there were any Canaanites there, and so he builds an altar, and uh, he asks." the Lord, uh, hey, is this where you want me to settle? I mean, is this a place where you might want me to settle? And so he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, what does the Lord tell him? What does it say in verse 8 that the Lord tells him? What's the Lord say to him? Go look for that. You don't see that? What does the Lord tell him? The Lord doesn't tell him anything. He builds an altar and he calls upon the name of the Lord and the Lord doesn't tell me that ever happened to you? I mean, you're looking for direction from the Lord you're ready to move out or you're ready to stay and you ask the Lord and the Lord doesn't tell you what to do what do you do when the Lord doesn't tell you what to do you do the last thing you continue to do the last thing he told you to do you stay at the last place he put you or you go to the place where he's telling you to go to you don't stay and so he doesn't hear from the Lord so it's as if I mean maybe he did hear from the Lord and the Lord told him no this is not where I want you to stay But more than likely, he just didn't hear from the Lord. And the Lord had told him, I want you to keep moving through the land of Canaan. And so uh, to the land that I will show you. So what Abraham does, that's exactly what he does. He packs up his tent and he and he heads even further south. Uh, And that's what we want to see in the last verse we're going to look at today. Verse number nine. Let me let me make one note here. When you see words like Bethel uh, and Ai and and uh, we're going to look at the Negev here in a minute. that doesn't mean that Abraham named those places that name or that they were named that name before he got there. Uh, Bethel, for example, who named Bethel Bethel? Jacob did. Remember, he said this is the house of God because he saw Jacob's ladder there. But Moses is writing this after Abraham and Jacob have died. And so he knows the spot where Abram went. And so he knows it's in the area of Bethel. So he he uses something that he, he, he knew about after the fact. So, so don't let that bother you. But now verse number 9. So Abram journeyed, just as the Lord had told him to, going still toward the south. Now that word south there 
literally in the Hebrew is the Negev. You ever heard of the Negev? Uh, it's the southern part of Israel. You look at any map of Israel and you look at the bottom of that mouth, map south of Jerusalem and south of the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea on the east, Jerusalem uh, in the middle, and you look at all that, tr- that inverted triangle south of that parallel line where you have the, the top of the Dead Sea in Jerusalem, and that is called the Negev. Now the Negev, if you were to drive through the Negev, is barren, barren desert is really what most of that land is, other than a few spots like in Gedi and Beersheba and a few spots like that. It's pretty barren land. And so here's Abraham, uh, and he's heading south, and he heads to the Negev, which really makes up about 60% of modern-day Israel, that, that section of land down there. And uh, he heads south, and it's really barren land. It's desert land. I, I kind of, looking at this now in more detail, when I come to verse 10, it, it, it helps me to understand maybe what's going on there. Because he's got probably thousands of head of cattle, sheep, whatever he's, he's herding. And he's got at least four or five hundred servants to feed. And he loves these servants. And he's down in the Negev where there's really no place to, to feed your sheep and to water your sheep. And that's why I think we see what we see in verse number 10. Now, there was a famine in the land of Negev. In other words, that land of Negev was barren. I don't think there was a famine going on in Canaan at this point, as, as, I, as, I, would, as I used to think. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land where he had landed. I mean, he comes down to Negev, and, and yeah, there's a famine. There's a famine there now. If you go try to build a farm in the Negev. Now, the Israelis can do this now with their modern technology, but if you were to try to do that 100 years ago, you would, you, you would die of, of thirst and starvation. You couldn't make it work. And so Abraham sees that, and so he, God's told him to keep moving. And, I, you know, in his defense, he loves his servants. He, he has all these possessions. In order to protect them, he can't go back up to Shechem. He, there's too many Canaanites there. Uh, God doesn't, didn't want him there in that little area east of Jerusalem. And so he had south, and he's looking for land where he can park, and there's no place to park his sheep and park his servants where he can feed them and water. And so he just keeps heading south, and what's south all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba is where, where, where Israel ends. And then you come past the Gulf of Aqaba, and you're in Egypt. So he heads straight south all the way down uh, into Egypt, and that's an entirely new story that we'll pick up next week. So here's Abram. He's in the promised land, but he's not settling down anywhere. And there's a reason for that. In Hebrews chapter 11, back to that passage I quoted earlier, we're told that by faith, when Abram had dwelt for a while in the land of promise, He dwelt there as in a foreign country because as a true believer, he longed, and I'm quoting here, he longed for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God himself. The longer he was in Canaan, the more he realized 
his ultimate goal was to live in the city of Zion, heavenly Zion, with the Lord. That was his real goal. That was his ultimate prize. You know, I wonder about us sometimes. Is that that what we're longing for? You know, I was thinking about that today when I was sitting there in my study and and I'm looking out over. We live in a really nice home in a really nice area with all these beautiful oak trees. And 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 I'm thinking about that. You know, have have I settled down? And the answer to that is no. You know, you know, I could I could pick up and leave out of that place tomorrow. And and I know that that, you know, we went to to California a couple of weeks ago. And I got to tell you, when I was in California, I didn't feel like an American in California. You know what I felt like? I felt like I was in a foreign a foreign country. That's how much it's changed from 20 years ago. You know, you go to California now and it's like going to a, I mean, there's things going on. I mean, in California that, that, that are really strange. A lot of homeless people, a lot of, you know, a lot of really strange things going on. I'm not going to get into that. But, but uh, uh, I felt like a foreigner there. But, you know, then here in Lafayette, I see things going on in Lafayette that are really strange. I mean, I, I see all sorts of stuff here that I'm not comfortable with going on. And, and, and this is not, Lafayette, I'm, I'm sorry to say, is not my home. People ask me if Lafayette is my home. No, Lafayette is not my home. My home is the heavenly Zion. And you know, I'm an Air Force brat, and so I never really have felt like any place was my home. But, 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 but I've lived in Lafayette 15 years, and I don't feel like it's my home. I mean, my home is with my family. My home's with the Lord. And, and, and where the Lord is and where my family is, that's where I want to be. And, and that's what you're torn between, you know, leaving this life and going to be with Christ, which is gain or, or staying here on this earth. Being with the, fam- the family we have here in this church. I mean, I mean, I long for that land, but I, you know, I long to be with my family too. So, so but, but if, if you're settled in, if you're settled in and, and, and you could say, man, this is my home and I'm comfortable here and, and, and I could live forever here, there's something wrong with, something wrong with that attitude. So, so, so check that if that's the way you feel. So anyway, Abraham's uh, uh, hadn't settled down in Canaan, but even though he hadn't settled down in Canaan, God was beginning to fulfill all of these promises that he had made to Abraham. I mean, uh, uh, all of these unconditional blessings that he had given him. Uh, first of all, Abraham was living in the very presence of God. He had these theophanies, these visits of Jesus Christ. I mean, so, so God was fulfilling that promise. He was blessing him. And just as uh, he had promised, uh, he had shown Abraham the land in which his descendants would be, the land in which this great nation of Israel would be birthed and, and, and actually be birthed in Egypt and then go down to, to uh to Israel one day that's where that the Israelites would live and and it's also he he was shown the land in which the Messiah would be born the Messiah who would bless all the families of the earth and we know from the rest of the Bible uh, that that throughout history uh, Israel has been uh, blessed uh, and and those who have cursed Israel have been cursed and those who have blessed Israel have have been blessed uh, you, you know, some people would say, well, what about countries like Babylon that took them into captivity or Syria that took them into captivity? Hey, they were only blessed for a season. God used them as a 
whipping rod to, to, to discipline Israel, but, but then they were destroyed off this earth. Look at Rome. Rome itself was, was you know, destroyed Israel, and, and they seem to be blessed. But where they're at, where they're at now, that, that empire is long gone. It's going to be revived again here soon, but, but it's gone at least for now. And, and what's true for Israel, I mentioned this earlier, to some degree is true for believers. When we're cursed, God is being cursed. And so God is going to curse those who curse him, those who curse his children. And when we're blessed, God is being blessed. And so he's going to bless those who are blessing his children. You find that right in scripture. Remember what Jesus said uh, when he was speaking of his children uh, in Mark 9, 4. He said, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And on the reverse side, he said in Matthew 18, 6, he said, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to, to, to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So that's saying the same thing. Those who bless his children will be blessed and those who curse his children will be cursed. Well, what's that got to do with today? Well, let me tell you what. We're beginning to hear a lot of rumblings about a BDS movement against the church. And maybe not an official movement as such as is against Israel. But there's certainly a movement going on against the church. First of all, to boycott the church, uh, to boycott God's word, uh, to divest. People are divesting themselves all over this country today uh, from the Christian faith. If you get a chance, listen to David Horowitz. I think it's, that's how you pronounce his name on, on Huckabee, uh, the interviewer. Look at his new book that he's come out with. And he's an Orthodox Jew uh, who believes this country was founded by Christians. And, and unless Christians take it back over, it's going down the tubes. That's what he believes. And he talks about how the, what was the name of the book that he wrote? Uh, the Dark Wave, I think it's called, something like that. And uh, it's his new book. And uh, he's talking about the left's agenda to destroy the church. Because if they could destroy the church, then they can do anything they want if they can remove the church from society. And so, so there's this movement to boycott God's word, to divest our society of anything to do with Jesus Christ. And, and then sanctions are being legislated as we speak, uh, as particularly in California and New York, against the Bible. And, if you, and let me tell you what, if you sanction the Bible, you sanction believers in the Bible. You, you, you're sanctioning uh, cre- true Christianity. And so that's all happening. And all of it, you put it all together and it amounts to a curse against the Christian faith. But I'm not worried about it. Because when they curse us, they're cursing themselves. And all of these people that you see that are cursing the Lord and cursing Christianity and trying to take Christianity out of our society, they're the ones who end up cursed in the end. So, so, so don't fret over those things. And, 
And as Paul, Peter said in Second Peter, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of trials and to reserve the unjust for punishment. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll pick up there next time in, in, uh, as we see Abram head down to Egypt. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you for uh, just the lessons that we can glean from the life of Abraham, Lord. And, and one of those great blessings is, Lord, that, that uh, we, you, you have blessed all of those who believe in you. And, and that blessing is, is, comes through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on Calvary. Lord, and because of that, we've been given your spirit and we can live in your presence. Just as Abraham was your friend, Lord, we can be your friend. We can be your servant and we can be your friend. You're our father and you're our God and we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for the relationship that we have through the great blessings that you've given us. Lord, and we can be assured that no matter how dark things get in this country and in this world, that uh, you're going to protect your own. And those who curse us will be cursed and those who bless us will be blessed and we just thank you for that encouraging word that you give us today uh, in your bible we thank you in christ's name amen